Good morning, Ogletown. How are we doing? Okay, okay. That wasn't that convincing. I want to I do this one more time. I'm going to say good morning. I want you to say good morning to me, okay? Good morning. All right. Good. It's good to be with you. I really consider it a, a privilege, not just a privilege, a great responsibility, uh, a solemn responsibility to preach here at Ogletown uh, Baptist Church and uh, for my dear friend Curtis Hill. And you, you really do have a great uh, pastor and a, and a great team of shepherds. Uh, as I've gotten to know Curtis over the last couple of years, and, and I know the people that he's connected to, um, he, he, he diligently um, prays for you, and he looks to lead you in, in with, a, with a servant's heart. And so before we even go any further, I just want to pray a blessing on Curtis, pray a blessing on Ogletown as well. So, so let's do that. Lord, we thank you that um, you have given us shepherds for your church, your flock, we know um, that the, the tempter, the evil one, would seek to come to the sheep and to kill, steal, and destroy. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that your word also says that we can find life in you, that your sheep hear your voice, but you have also given us under shepherds. You've given us pastors like Curtis and, and, and Champ and, and Evan and Chris and many others, Lord, here at Ogletown. And then the elder board and Lord, many who are in leadership, Lord, may they serve you as they seek to serve your people. Lord, would you bless Curtis as he's taking this needed time to recharge and reflect and be rejuvenated by your spirit that he might not tire uh, of, uh, of the work, Lord, even if he tires in the work uh, of ministry. And so, Lord, would you bless this church? Would you... Uh, bring a harvest of fruit here this year in 2017? Or would those who have challenges in their lives and, and are maybe seeking other things in the world to, to fix those and address those issues, may they turn from those things and find healing in the name of Jesus Christ, to find redemption in Christ, to find their hope in Christ, Lord? May we, this church point them to Christ and be, the, be a light on the hill here in Newark and around this area. So, Lord, do a mighty work uh, in and through this church. Lord, we thank you for their partnership in ministry, and may it be that way for many years to come. Lord, now as we get into your word and we, we ask the question of how this applies to us and how it changes our life, Lord, would you pierce our hearts? If there's those of us who come in here with hearts that are uh, filled with grief or sorrow or challenge, Lord, would you meet us there with great hope? Lord, hearts that are uh, burdened, hearts that are hardened, and, and uh, apathetic, would you break through that hard shell and, and make hearts that are malleable to your word and your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love the Psalms, and when Curtis asked me to preach in the Psalms, I'm very excited about that, because the Psalms really, I think, capture so well the range of experiences as, as humans, right? The range of emotions that we experience in life, the, the mountaintops, you know, the, life is awesome, kinds of experiences and the valleys of life, the, the hardships and the pain of life that we experience, the, the full range. And if I could summarize Psalms, that's how I'd describe it, that we can praise God on the mountaintop 
and yet we can trust him in the valleys. And, and that is the essence of what we find here in this one psalm, Psalm 40. And we're just going to look at the first four verses. You heard, um, you heard Pastor Champ read through the whole section. I want to concentrate on just the first four verses. And we're going to ask the question of what do we do when we find our life in the pit? Do you ever feel like life kind of feels like this picture that we're going to put on the screen? Does life ever feel like that to you? Do you ever feel like you're in this muddy bog, in this quicksand, if you would, in life, and the more you struggle through it, the more you feel like you're sinking in it? I don't know what your pit is in your life. Maybe it's a pit of sickness that you've been dealing with. Maybe you're here and you've been diagnosed with something and, and you know the, the grinding stress of long-term illness and that's your pit that you experience. Maybe it's a mental illness or a depression that's been weighing heavy on you and the more you try to get out of it, they feel the deeper that you struggle in it. Maybe for you, it's just a pit of being overwhelmed with life. Your, your life is just stressed out right now. You're working two jobs. You're working a lot of overtime. Or maybe your, your company is downsizing and you wonder, am I going to be, be, be next? Maybe you're a student here and you're you know, putting a lot of money into a college and you have no idea what you want to be or do in life. And that's just grinding at you. Maybe you're a parent paying for a college student like that. I don't know what it is for you, but we deal with all these kinds of stresses. Maybe you're a, a mom who's dealing with many children at home, little children at home, and you just feel like, man, you're, it's so hard and it's so overwhelming. I heard a comedian once talk about this. He just had his fourth child, and somebody asked him, you know, what's it like having four kids? And he said, well, imagine that you're drowning, and then somebody hands you a baby. Maybe that's how you feel this morning if you're here. Maybe you feel like you're in the pit of brokenness because of some experience that happened to you. Maybe it's a breakup in a relationship and you're having a hard time getting out of that. Or you just heard some awful news about an addiction that your husband had to pornography or an affair. Maybe it's your own brokenness, your own addictions, your own habits and hurts that, that you've been in this pit of your own sin and shame. But all of us at some point in life are going to experience that pit. Your life might be awesome right now and you're on this mountaintop and you're like, man, I can't really relate to that. What I would say to you is just live a little longer. Like you'll, you'll be in one of those pits at some point in life. Good morning this Sunday. <laughs> that sounds exciting, doesn't it? But that is a reality that we will face these kinds of pits in life. And I've been there. I've been in those pits. I remember about five years ago, I was in ministry down in D.C. Things were going great. And within about two months, I began to struggle with anxiety and fear. And, and I began to doubt God's goodness in my life. In fact, I began to even doubt, as a pastor, doubt God's existence. I began to wonder, is all this real? And I started having serious doubts. Now, that's kind of a problem if you're a pastor, right? You're trying to tell other people, hey, you know, 
trust the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. He's going to work things out in your life. And you're thinking in the back of your head, yeah, but do I actually believe that? You're trying to lead your wife and your kids and you're struggling in your own faith in that moment. And I remember the spiraling downward and questioning, should I even be in ministry and do I need to give all this up and what do I do? And is there anyone I can actually talk to about this? I feel so alone. Now God began to rescue me out of that pit and part of the rescue of and the deliverance in my life from that experience is, is, is sort of um, inspiration from, from what we're going to look at in Psalm 40, the deliverance of God and what that looks like. And so whatever pit you find yourself in or whatever pit you will end up in one day, whatever that looks like, and however deep and dark or, or whatever degree that looks like, what we're going to find in this psalm is hope. Is hope. And I want to look at Psalm 40, just the first four verses. And we're going to, what we're going to see here in this section of Scripture are two things. We're going to see how David responded to the pit of circumstances in his life and how we should respond likewise. And then we're going to look at how, uh, how did God respond to David's cry. So we're going to look at how does, how does David respond and then how did God respond in deliverance. So let me read again the first four verses in Psalm 40. David says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the slimy pit, or maybe your translation says destruction, the pit of destruction, same concept. Out of the mire and the, the mud And he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand and he put a new song in my mouth, a a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and they'll fear the Lord and they will put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and does not look to the proud and to those who turn aside to false gods. So David finds himself in the pit. We, we hear the end of the story, but let's just back up for a minute. David was in the pit. The king was in the pit. The one who was a man after God's own heart, the one who was prosperous and successful and that God blessed, was in the pit. That right there should give us a little bit of comfort to know that the king was in the pit. If David was in the pit, maybe it's not... Maybe I'm not in the pit because I don't lack, an, lack faith or something, right? Sometimes we, we think that, oh, the reason I'm here is because I, I, I don't believe enough. Or, or maybe God has you in there for another reason. And that's what we're going to look at here. So David's in the pit. We don't know why. We don't know what the circumstances were of why he was in the pit. But uh, needless to say, he's in something that's really deep and it's really dark and it's really destructive. He uses that kind of language. He calls it destructive and and dark and and miry and muddy, life-threatening kind of circumstances. How does he respond? Well, he responds in two ways. The first thing he does is he gets real with God. And that's what we need to do when we find ourselves in the pit of our circumstances. We need to get real with God. It says in verse 1 that God heard his cry. Now, often what we see from the Psalms, particularly the Psalms of David, is that he is constantly crying out, no matter what his emotions are, he he wears his emotions on his sleeve in the Psalms. He holds nothing back from, from God. 
Psalm 6, verse 6, he says, I am weary with all my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I I drench my couch with my weeping. This this is some serious mourning in his life. And and he has no problem uh, uh, disclosing his emotions to God. He gets real with God. This is not a God who, this is not a guy who, you know, just kind of goes through the religious motions. He he doesn't hide how he's really doing from God. He goes to him with his anger at times. He goes to him with his anxiety and his frustrations. He goes to him with his doubts and his fears and his questions. I think partly this is what it means to have a heart after God's own heart, is that you see your relationship with God as just that. It's a relationship where there's trust, that God is safe, a safe person to talk to about the mess of your life. Sometimes we we treat God not so much like that, right? Sometimes we treat God like we've got to go and we've got to go clean ourselves up first. Say, man, I'm I'm dealing with some anger issues with God. I'm dealing with fears and and worries, anxiety. I'm going to go deal with that on my own. I'm going to go clean myself up. And then when I've I've got it all figured out, then I'm going to go back to God and say, look, see, I'm, I'm all better now. God say, no, 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 that, that's not what I want. You can come to me. In fact, you need to come to me with your fears. So it's in the pit. That is the time in the pits of life, in the circumstance of life, with your doubts, with your regrets, with your fears and your shame. That's when we should go to God. Like, like a, a child, a, a wounded or hurt child would come to a father or a mother when they're in pain. A good father and a good mother would get down on their knee and they would go look eye to eye and they'd say, tell me what's going on. Don't hide it from me. Talk to me, right? As parents, we, we want our children to do that. And, and we, we, we are torn up inside when our kids try to hide those kinds of things from us. We want them to come to us. And we have a God that's like that. I don't know your image of God is as you come in here. I don't know if you think of him as this aloof, austere God, this angry God at you waiting for you to screw up so he can, you know, zap you with a bolt of lightning. I don't know what your image of God is. But no, what the Psalms are showing us is a God who wants us to come to him in the midst of those, those emotions. Are you coming to him in the midst of your circumstances? Are you really being honest with him? Are you skipping through the surface of life with a surface relationship with God? That's the first thing that this passage teaches us is we need to respond by getting real with God of what's really happening. And the second thing that we see with David is that David actively seeks God. It says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently. And, and what shows up is waited patiently in our English. The, the word patiently isn't even in there in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, it just repeats the, the word patiently, uh, waited twice. So it's, I waited, waited for the Lord. And that's a Hebrew way of intensifying the waiting. So it would be like saying, with great waiting, I waited for the Lord. It, it's this sense of an active waiting. It's a pursuit of a waiting. It's constantly going to him and relentlessly pursuing him in the midst of your circumstances for God to respond. 
Often we think of waiting, when, when we wait, we think of it as like, you know, what you do in a doctor's office. And you sit in the waiting room, because that's what you do when you're in a doctor's office. You sit in a waiting room. And, and what do we do when we're waiting for the doctor? Well, we, you know, we scroll on our phone, we check our Twitter, our Facebook, and we just kind of scroll, look at our news feed. Or we look at the magazines or paper. Basically what we're trying to do is we try to t- take our minds off of the fact that we're waiting for the doctor, Right? And we occupy ourselves, we distract ourselves with other things. And often that's what we think about when we think of waiting. That's not at all what the Hebrew has in mind here. When, it, when David talks about waiting, he's not talking about this distraction to finding things that would occupy your mind so you don't have to think about your challenges. That's, no, that's not what he's thinking about. What he's talking about is an active focus, a pursuit, a relentless seeking of God in the midst of your challenges. You know, when my boys were even younger, we still do this, but we like to play hide-and-seek in the house, right? So it's one of the fun games we'll do on a weekend. We'll play hide-and-seek. And my boys hide in places like this, right? N- not, not particularly difficult places to find them. Uh, you know, it's, you, you act like you don't see them, but, you know, you, you kind of walk around, oh, I wonder where you are, and, and then you find them hiding in plain sight here. And, and so it's pretty easy, right? But when I play hide-and-seek. When I, it's my turn to hide, uh, I hide in a little bit more challenging places. I'll, I'll hide in places like this. I'll hide in the closet. The other one on the right is just unfair, right? It's, it's, I get up in a crawl space, and that's just, that's just not fair. My wife will get on my case. They're never going to find you if you hide in here. I said, yeah, I know, but it's fun. And so, um, and so I'll be up there, and they'll count to 60 or whatever, and they'll start walking around, and they'll look in the obvious places, and when, when I really make it tough on them, it takes maybe two minutes for them to give up on looking for me and get distracted and say, okay, I'm going to go do something else. And so I'll be sitting up there, I'm sweating, I'm like, where are these kids? I'm making dog sounds and mooing sounds and trying to give myself away and, and nothing. And so I come down and more often than not, I'll find them, you know, playing Legos or, or watching TV or something else, and they've completely forgotten that we had been playing the game hide-and-seek. And I'll say, guys, what, what's up? I mean, we were playing hide-and-seek. He's like, oh, yeah. Well, we found you. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> and I think about that sometimes because too often I, I give up so easily when I'm seeking God in the midst of a challenge in my life. And I'll be more like my kids. I will, I'll seek him for a little bit and I'll, I'll look for him for a little bit. But then if he doesn't come right away, if he doesn't come to my need, if he doesn't relieve me from my challenge, if I have to be patient in it, man, I just get distracted and I begin to give up and my attention goes in other places. Are we diligently seeking him? And you say, man, why does God make us do that? Why doesn't he just come right away? I think one of the things that he is doing when he makes us wait is he's using that to deepen and test our faith. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to him, must, uh, comes to God, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of who? Those who diligently seek him. This is the same idea that David's talking about. Jeremiah 29, 13, right after Jeremiah 29, 11, by the way, that says, you know, he has plans, all these great plans to prosper us and, and give us a future, right? 
And then just a couple of verses later, he says, you will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all of your heart. Diligent seeking, full-hearted seeking, patient seeking. This is what he's after. And God is willing to disclose himself for a period of time to deepen and test our faith. Some of us shake our head, yeah, because you, you know that's true. You've been through that experience. See, these are the two things that we see David do in this passage. He gets real with God. He doesn't hold it back. He goes to him in the midst of his suffering and his pain and his questions. And secondly, we see that he is relentlessly pursuing the Lord. He's focused on the Lord. He does not distract himself, but he says, I will continue with, a, with faith to pursue him, even if he has not come and answered me yet. Well, now we want to look at how does God respond? How does God respond? God responds with deliverance. Look at verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. David receives the deliverance, the strong arm of God in deliverance. And we don't know exactly what that meant. Does that mean that God delivered David from his enemies? Very well could be. Does it mean that God delivered him from an illness? Maybe. Does it mean he delivered him from, you know, a sin struggle or or something else? Maybe. We, We don't know. We just know that God delivered. He came through. He brought his strong arm in the life of David. And he reached down from that pit And he pulled him up with his strong arm and he set him on a solid foundation. This is the picture, the the portrait of deliverance. And you say, well, wow, man, that's awesome. Does God still do that today? Does God still deliver us in the same way that he delivered David? And I would say, absolutely, he does. God is still in the business of deliverance. But the way in which he delivers is not always how we might think. In fact, as I look throughout the pages of Scripture, as I look at God's interaction with, with us as, a, as, as believers, as I look at interactions in my own life, I have pointed at least three ways God delivers us in the midst of our pits of life, in, in our circumstances. I want to share the three, and you'll see how David experiences these as well. The first one is sometimes God delivers us from the circumstances of the pit. Sometimes God gives us a job when we pray for a job when we don't have one. And boom, he just brings one. Awesome. Sometimes God brings healing, miraculous healing from an an illness that we have. Wonderful. Sometimes when we're really lonely and we feel a pit of despair and loneliness, he brings the right people. He brings a, a small group or a friendship or a mentor into our life at just the right time. And we say, man, thank you, God, your hand showed up in delivering me from my circumstances. And we could probably go around this room and we could just popcorn kind of go around and we could all share some way that God had delivered us from our circumstances. God still is in the business of delivering us in our circumstances. We see this in the book of Acts. We see in Acts 16. Paul and Silas, remember this, they are put in jail because they're sharing their faith And they're put in jail and they're put in stocks. And what do they start doing? Well, they start singing hymns and songs in the jail. And midnight comes and an earthquake 
uh, breaks this jail apart and breaks their bonds and their, their stocks that they're in. And the jailer, the, the prison guard, is ready to kill himself because he thinks it's going to be a jailbreak and everyone's going to leave and then it's going to be on him, right? And, and, and Paul and Silas say, no, 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 don't, don't do that. We're all still here. We're all still here. And the jailer says, what, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? And like, he, he becomes a Christian right there. It's this beautiful story. Paul and Silas leave and they go out and continue to minister. It's this wonderful story of God's divine intervention in delivering Paul and Silas from their circumstances. So we see this in scripture. We see it in our lives, but it doesn't always work that way, does it? God doesn't always deliver us from our circumstances. But sometimes, secondly, he uses the pit of our circumstances to deliver us from something far worse, which is idolatry in our heart. Something that would rival the lordship of Christ in our life. See, as followers of Christ, as as creations uh, of God, this new creation, we are... Uh, we are meant to uh, look to Christ as our only hope, as our only source of significance and security, as not just the hope in this life, but the hope for eternal life. Uh, we, we are to make him the Lord and the master of every area of our life. That is the process of uh, of sanctification. That's the process of discipleship, becoming more like the one that you follow, right? We, we know that. But that's a hard process, isn't it? We don't come to Christ and in that moment, every single area of our lives is just completely 100% aligned with Christ, is it? If that's your story, I want to talk to you. Uh, but that's a lifetime process. And God is so passionate about that process in our life He is willing to do things that might seem uncomfortable, that are very difficult in our lives in order to bring about that result. And sometimes that means he will leave us in the circumstances of our life, in the challenge, in the pain, if it means that it's going to refine us and so that we would not look to idols in our life to give us that significance and hope and meaning and purpose, and identity, right? We see this. Uh, you think of Paul uh, uh, the next time he was in jail. I wonder the next time got, Paul got put in jail. I mean, that was kind of like a, a thing for Paul. It's often in jail. But I wonder if the, next, the very next time that he was put in jail, I wonder if he expected the very same thing to happen. You ever think of that? He's put in jail. I wonder if he said to the jailer, hey, um, you know, go ahead and make the, make the stocks really tight because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be in these stocks and I'm going to get people start singing all around me. We're all going to start singing hymns. It's going to be awesome. Midnight, stocks are going to break. I'm going you know, to get up and praise the Lord and you're going to end up becoming a Christian. I wonder if that was his expectation. I mean, it happened before. God delivered, so maybe he's going to do it the exact same way. And so, you know, midnight comes around. He's praising God and he's counting down like, like it's, you know, New Year's, right? And then it's 12.01 and then it's 12.05 and then it's 1 and 2 o'clock and then it's the next day and then the next week and then the next month and deliverance hasn't come. I, I wonder what Paul thought of that. Well, 
Paul gives us a little insight into what he was thinking in that experience and what God was doing. You, you turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4 and you, you see that. You see exactly what God was doing. What does he say in Philippians 4? He says, I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. When he says learned, that's not just something he was zapped with, the ability. He learned it through experience. In other words, what he's saying is, I had to go through the really bad circumstances and sit in that muck and mire. I had to be in the pit in order to learn this truth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He learned that, that it's not, it's not a, a comforts and money and security and popularity and success that you build your sense of, of, of contentment on, of identity on. But when all those things go away, when you're sitting in a pr- prison rotting, all you have is Christ, and Christ is enough. And that was a secret that he learned, and that's what he was trying to tell these, this little church in, in Philippi. See, God was willing to deliver him from those circumstances, or, or not, not deliver him from the circumstances, deliver him from the idolatry, even in the midst of a circumstance. And sometimes he does the same thing in our life. When I was uh, a, a kid, uh, uh, we had an above-ground pool, and uh, we would have to put the solar, after my brothers and I were done swimming, we'd have to put the solar cover, you know what I'm talking about, the, the cover that goes over the pool, we'd have to put that on, uh, on the pool after we were done swimming. And what we would do is one of us would stand on one end where the ladder is, and the other one on the other end, and we'd pull it. And then whoever was at the, the far end of the pool would you know, swim under the solar cover and then come up the other side and climb up the ladder. And my older brother thought it would be really hilarious if uh, one of those times while I was swimming under that he'd hold the cover down, right? And so that when I came up, I wouldn't be able to breathe. It's really funny, isn't it? Not so much. And so that's exactly what we did. And so uh, I swam under and I'm looking to come up and he's holding it down and I come up and it's just like, vacuum sealed. Like I could come up, I cannot breathe. I can't do anything. And, and in that moment of panic, what I did was I, I, I just like, I just kind of freaked out and I pushed up really hard and I didn't realize how close I was standing my brother and my head hit him right in the chin and it broke all four of his front teeth, chipped them all four of his front teeth. Now, the rest of the story, that's for another sermon of what happened after that. But I ran very quickly uh, into the comfort of my mom uh, at that moment. But, but let me tell you what I was not thinking when I was under that cover. And I tried to come up for air. What I wasn't thinking was um, about my popularity. What I wasn't thinking of was about, you know, a girl that I wanted to ask out. What I wasn't thinking about was how much money I wanted to have in the bank account or, or, or about comfort or anything like that. The only thing I was thinking in that moment is I long for air, <laughs> right? That's it. All of a sudden, nothing else mattered except air. And in a similar way, God brings us into these circumstances so that nothing else, everything else that really doesn't have meaning in this life that's really not that important, all of a sudden, doesn't matter. When you're in the pits of, the, of those circumstances, he wants us to long for him like we long for air. Maybe that's what God's doing in the midst of your circumstance. Maybe you feel like, man, why is he not delivered 
me from these. May I suggest to you, maybe he's trying to deliver you from something far more destructive in your life. Idolatry of something. God wants to deliver us. He loves us enough not to leave us in our idolatrous heart. The third, the third way that I see in, not just in this text, but in, in my life and the lives of other saints in Scripture, is that not only does he sometimes deliver us from our circumstances, sometimes he'll deliver us from the idolatry and leave us in our circumstances. The third thing that he does is that he will use our story to deliver other people in their pit of circumstance. And that's what he does here with David. He says in verse, chapter, uh, in verse 3 in chapter 40, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. And over, over again, we see this in chapter 40. We see David proclaiming this new song of deliverance. And what he's saying is, God delivered me in incredible circumstances He was my deliverer. He was the source of my salvation. And now he's put a new song in my mouth. I want everybody to know about God's deliverance. And I I hope that my story will bring other people to come know this great deliverer, this great Savior. And that's what he's doing. And and that is what God is often up to. When, When God delivers us, he gives us a new song to sing, doesn't he? Some of, of us who have been delivered from addictions to, to pornography or to uh, alcohol or, or some of us from delivering from fear or, or you know, you, you, God brought you a new job or, or, or a wife or a husband or whatever it is that you say, man, God was in that. God showed up there. Man, we have a new song to sing. We want everyone to know. Man, let me tell you what God did in my life. I want you to know. One commentator said it like this. God's aim is for us to sing others into the kingdom. God uses our experiences of deliverance as tools of evangelism so that in a world that is looking to false hopes and false deliverers, they will see a real deliverer in your life. When, when things that look, seem fake out there, in, out in the world, when they see the authenticity of how you face the trials and the sufferings that you might face and they see God's strong arm to deliver you from that, that they would say, I want to get to know that God that you serve. God is up to not just saving you. No, but he has blessed us. Why? To be a blessing to everybody. God wants to use your story to deliver others. So we see these three things in, in the ways that God delivers us. And I hope that's encouraging to you. But I want to close because Psalm 40 here, David is pointing to a far deeper pit and a far greater deliverer and deliverance from our circumstances in Psalm 40. He might have in mind something temporary, something earthly, but it points to Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer, doesn't it? When we see this text, we should find ourselves in here spiritually, eternally, as the ones who are in the pit. That spiritually, the Bible says in in Ephesians chapter 2, that all of us, no matter whether we were born in, uh, you know, 
an atheist family or, or we were born in like the belt buckle of the Bible belt in Texas to parents that are deacons, right? Or anywhere in between, all of us are born into this spiritual darkness. It says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us were in the depths of that pit, the Bible says. No way out, no way of rescuing ourselves. The more effort we make, the deeper we slide into it. But Jesus Christ, the one that was on the mountaintop, the one that stood on the the solid rock, left heaven to become one of us. And he didn't stand from afar and throw a rope to us. He climbed in the pit with us, didn't he? He climbed to this this pit, the depths of this life. He, He lived in the muck and the mire. He lived among us. He, he had to suffer a gruesome death, a death that we deserved. And he took the sin of all mankind and he put it on his body and he nailed it to a cross. He took all of that, that pit of, of our sin and he put it on himself. And then he personally lifted us out of that pit, that eternal pit of destruction and set us on an eternal rock. The Bible says that all of us who call on the name of Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Savior from our sin, will be saved. What a great Savior who would come in the pit with us. And so if you're here and you're in a circumstance uh, that's, that's not very pleasing and you want out, know that God is up to something. He, he wants you to cry out to Him. He wants you to seek Him and that He will bring deliverance. It's, it's just a matter of what kind. And ultimately, His promise to deliver remains firm. And it might not be always in this life. This is not a message that says, you know, you pray hard enough, God will deliver you from your cancer or your illness or your depression. I can't, I can't say that. Not in this life. But He will in eternity. Let's pray. Lord, all of us need that rescuing from the pit of our, of our sin. Lord, I thank you that I was once lost and I was blind and I was, I was finding way too much comfort in the pit. And you, Lord, you came and you lifted up the blinders. You helped me to see what my desperate circumstances were. And Lord, you delivered me from that pit and you have set me on a solid rock, a solid foundation for all eternity through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know that you've done that for many of us here and we can amen that because we have that hope in Jesus for eternity. Lord, if there are those here that have not trusted you, maybe they've been trusting their own effort to climb out of that pit. They've been trusting their, uh, a man-made religion or, or a program or just goodness, Lord, or some other religion. Or, Lord, they're just in rebellion and they don't even care. Lord, may today they see you as the rescuer, the one who paid it all and turned from you and, and believe in your name and what it is that you've done, your death on the cross for our sin and your eternal life to rescue us from the pit. Lord, if we find ourselves in the midst of a circumstance that's really painful right now, Lord, would you come and minister to us 
today. Would you encourage our heart? Will we cast our hope on the Savior? Thank you for your promise to deliver in many ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.